Well, let's get into uh, the message today. We're in week two of our series, Faith Traps. And what we're looking at for last week, this week, and next week um, are things, mindsets, we're calling them faith traps, that keep you from being who you are designed to be and from doing what you're designed by God to do. And we talked about last week as we opened the series that most of these traps that we're going to talk about, if not all of them, are very subtle in their own way. You don't see them coming. They're hidden with, you know, the bear trap is hidden with some leaves and debris. You, it's not like they're going to be sparkly lights and flashing lights telling you, hey, this is a trap you want to avoid. They come up and sneak up on us. And this week's trap is probably, of the three, the most subtle because it's kind of like quicksand. You don't realize till you're kind of ankle deep that you're in trouble. And then the more that you try to struggle, the more you go down. And if you don't try to change anything about the situation you find yourself in, this trap will suck you in. And the thing I learned about quicksand, I looked it up this week and watched some videos. It's pretty, it's pretty fascinating if you don't know about quicksand. It won't sink you all the way under. You'll get to about chest height, and then you're stuck there. Uh, and so it won't sink you down. You're not going to die from going all the way under, but you will die because you're going to be stuck with nowhere to go if you're all alone. And there's even one video of a guy who was doing it on a TV show as like a test, like what would happen if I got caught? And he had professional rescuers with him, and he let himself, you know, start to sink. And it took, he said it took about eight minutes for him to go from stepping into this, it looks like a little puddle almost, but it took him eight minutes to go from there to about waist deep. And even when he was about calf level, he could not get himself out because the water is displacing from the sand, and it's just, sink, it's just sucking him in. It's, he can't escape. And so he got about almost waist deep, and he said, I'm getting very uncomfortable right now, you know. And so the guys that were with him, there were three professional paramedic rescuers that helped him. They said, okay, try to lay back, and that will help to displace uh, some, some of the sand, give you more space to get out. He still couldn't move even though he tried to do what they told him because he was so far in. And so then it took three of these professional rescuers over 10 minutes to get him out. And they were like flushing water in the holes with special tools, and they knew how to dig out him out. And it still took three professionals over 10 minutes to get him out. This trap that we're going to talk about today is very much the same way. It's sneaky, but when it comes on you, it's fast. And if you don't adjust, you're going to get stuck and die there spiritually and in other areas of your life. Today's faith trap is what we're calling the same old, same old trap. The same old, same old trap. And the key behind recognizing this trap is to know the difference between a rhythm and a rut. So the way to see this trap before it's too late is to notice the difference in your life between a rhythm and a rut. Now for music, obviously rhythm is important, right? Our band knows that this is very true. It's important to have rhythm. You want to stay on rhythm. So for a band, to have rhythm is good. However, uh, if you look at a band and they've, done, they've put out two or three albums, they have a lot of hits, and if they all sound the same, they may not be as successful as another band that like mixes things up. Their rhythm becomes a rut. Everything's 4-4 four, four time. Everything sounds the same. You can't tell, you know, what song is what because it all starts the same, sounds the same, is the same. A rhythm becomes a rut. And then you look at even in baseball. Bill would know this very well, being a baseball guy. Sometimes a batter can get into a rhythm, and he's up there, and he's hitting 
everything. And he can twist his hips just right and flick his wrist just right, and he can make that ball go exactly where he wants it to go. And he's seeing the ball come in like it's in slow motion. Batters can get into a rhythm. However, what they probably don't realize is that they're just, there's, a, there's a zone that they're probably hitting the ball in more often. And so the other team, the other pitchers, the other scouts are going to notice that. Hey, he likes the ball high and outside. He's been hitting, you know, every other ball out of the ballpark for three weeks. Guess what? We're not going to pitch him high and outside. He's in a rhythm, but if he doesn't adjust when the other teams adjust, his rhythm becomes a rut, and he can't hit anything. He swings and misses. He hits ground balls. He's in a double place. His rhythm becomes a rut. And it's slow, and it's because he's unwilling to change and adapt when other things around him change and adapt. Anybody know the company AT&T? What does AT&T stand for? Yes, you got it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's American Telephone and Telegraph. So for a while, AT&T being in the telegraph business was a rhythm, Right? That was their thing. That was, that was the, you know, selling these things like hotcakes, you know, we can service them. It's all good. Can you imagine if AT&T still tried to sell telegraph machines? Now, for like a collector or for an auction for antiques, right, maybe that would be a good business plan on the side. But if they're trying to sell them as one of their main products, that rhythm is now a rut. It doesn't work anymore. So they've had to adapt, they've had to adjust to stay successful, to keep their rhythm from becoming a rut. So really the question that we're going to pose to ourselves today when we talk about the same old, same old trap is, has your rhythm become a rut? And it can be in any area of life. Maybe your marriage for a while was great and it was on all cylinders. But you look back five years ago, and you're like, man, we were really in a rhythm and it's not in a rhythm anymore. We're not, I don't, you know, I don't have that. I've kind of lost that love and feeling that I had, you know, that happens. If we're not careful, the rhythm can become a rut. Same with parenting. Parenting, as your kids age, you better adjust or the rhythm becomes a rut. Why is my kid in this phase all the time? Why can I not communicate with them? Well, it's because we'll talk about in a few minutes later on specifically, but you have to change or adjust or the rhythm becomes a rut. It's the same spiritually. Let me ask you, has your rhythm spiritually become a rut? It's more of a routine than it used to be spiritually to kind of keep up. It's more of a chore than you would like to admit that it is and you wish it were because your rhythm maybe has become a rut. You're stuck in the same spot over and over and over. And we do this many times, especially spiritually, because we're usually looking for God to do the same things in the same way every time. And God doesn't work that way. So let me give you a, kind of a comical example. So in John chapter 2, uh, there's a story of Jesus' first public miracle. He turns water into wine at a wedding, right? So here's what I like to do. You can kind of get into my brain for a second. I like to imagine the next wedding that he's invited to if the rhythm becomes a rut for people. Now, I would imagine that maybe it's one of his neighbors that was at that previous wedding and saw, whoa, he turned water into wine. That was pretty cool. So then his neighbor's going to get married, you know, maybe the next season. He sends an invite, and Jesus responds, I'll be there. Save me a seat. So guess what? They're going to try to save money on wine, <laughs> okay? 
We're not gonna. Pop, we're just gonna buy water, and Jesus is there. Guess what he did last time? Yeah, bingo! We got extra money for the honeymoon, baby. You know, score. You know, and so Jesus shows up to the wedding, and then one of the groomsmen comes by, and he says, "Hey, Jesus, we're out of wine." Jesus is probably he's probably talking to some disciples, and he gets tapped on the shoulder. He says, "We're out of wine." He's like, "Man, I'm sorry to hear that, bro. It's too bad." You know, and he keeps talking, and the guy's like. That's not how this is supposed to go. Like, I remember what John told me what happened last time. This is not what Jesus does. He turns water into wine every time at every wedding, right? And so he taps him on the shoulder again. He's like, no, no, Jesus, you know, wink, wink, we're out of wine. And Jesus is like, do you want to go make a Target run or something? Like, do you, I mean, I, can, I guess I can go to the corner store. I don't know what you want me to do here, bro. And he keeps talking to his disciples. And this groomsman is going to be very frustrated with Jesus because he's not doing what he did last time. And he's not performing like he did last time. And it's not happening like it did last time. And so he's going to be very frustrated, very angry. And he's like, do I have to, like, write it on a board for you? Do I have to, like, come out and actually say, Jesus, we need a miracle here? And so he's going to be very frustrated. And so, but that in our lives can be how our spiritual lives may look like. We're looking for God in the same little pocket all the time, every time, over and over. And when he doesn't show up in that specific way, we feel slighted or we feel confused. Well, God, are you not really there? Did you, you know, forget about me? It's like, well, maybe God's over here. And because we're not adjusting spiritually in any way, we might miss what he's wanting to do. So we're going to take a few minutes today and look at another example of how this may have happened in the life of the prophet Elijah. So we'll be in 1 Kings 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them there. If you have the Bible app, you can, it's there for you as well, and it'll be on the screen. We're going to be working through uh, 1 Kings 19 for a little bit this morning to see how this played into Elijah's life and how, even though he kind of sort of got in a little bit of a rut, he escaped before it consumed him. So 1 Kings 19, let's start at verse number 1. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Ahab is the king of Judah and Jezebel is his wife and she's evil and godless and just a terrible uh, person. So what's happened in 1 Kings 18, if you know the story, is Elijah has had a showdown on top of Mount Carmel with 450 prophets of the false god Baal. And they have this showdown on this mountain. And the showdown is, hey, if Baal is the real god, he will answer by fire and consume our offering. Elijah says, I'll see you and raise you. And he says, hey, I've got this offering here, this burnt offering, or it's not burnt yet, but if God brings fire from heaven and answers, then he's the true God. So they have this showdown, and as we know, Baal doesn't do anything because he's not real. And then God shows up and consumes this animal sacrifice that's been doused with water that's impossible. It even says that the fire was so hot it consumed the stones around the altar. So God really showed up with like a comet fireball that day. So that's what's just happened. So Jezebel, who's kind of a ringleader of these prophets of Baal, she's like, this is not good. Because here's something else I thought of this week. I want to do a series sometime. It's like PG-13. Because the end of that story, we don't really talk about in kids' church. Because you know what happened at the end of this battle? Elijah slaughtered all of the prophets. Uh, we don't ever talk about that, but he did. He got the other people around him that weren't serving Baal and said, hey, let's get these guys, and they killed all of them. Just kind of a neat little, okay, now good night, Johnny. You know, get our, did our Bible story for the night. You know, sweet dreams, turn out the light and walk away, and they have nightmares forever because you tell them the end of the story. So uh, Jezebel's not happy about this, and, she, and so here's what she says, verse 2. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. That's a very wordy way of saying, hey, I'm going to have you killed. Uh, basically what she's saying. I'm the queen. I've got connections. I know people. I got a guy, and he's coming for you. So it says Elijah was afraid, obviously, and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom, br- broom bush, bush, that's hard to say, say that three times, say it one time fast, broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Here's what he says. I have had enough, Lord. You ever been there before? I've had enough. He says, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So 1 Kings 18, Elijah is in a rhythm. Like he's calling fire from heaven to consume an animal sacrifice. That's a pretty big day. And then he slaughters the unbelieving Baal-worshipping prophets uh, as like, I guess, a bonus. I don't know how, anyway, I don't know what he thought about that. He's in a rhythm. Like God's answering prayer. God's doing stuff. Like he's been huge for him. He's shown up in a big way. But now all of a sudden when he gets this news that someone's out to get him, he gets into a bit of a rut here. He starts to fear. He starts to worry. He's, and he, he runs. So you would think, if I called on God yesterday to f- have fire fall from heaven, surely he can take care of this assassin that's on the way. Like, that's not a big deal for him. But he doesn't do that. He gets caught in this rut of fear and unbelief. And so he's suddenly in this, in this rut. So here's how this story continues. Verse 5. All at once, so he's under this tree asleep wanting to die deep depression. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. That's pretty cool, right? God, I'm so down, and so I just can't anymore. I can't even, God. And he lays down to die, and God sends an angel and says, hey, dude, wake up. And so he's got like angel food cake, literally, right? angel food cake there for him and a jar of water that just supernaturally appears in the middle of the desert after an angel taps him on the shoulder to wake up. That's a pretty cool thing. You would think, so God's trying to get him out of this rut. He's like, dude, you're ankle deep in the quicksand. I got I got to do something. He sends an angel with a meal. You would think that would help get him out, but he can't get out of the rut quite yet. He eats it. He's like, thanks, God. I'm going to still die here. Okay, so he's still in the rut. Let's pick it up now, uh, verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Now, this is quite a meal because here's what happens. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. That's a pretty good meal. A lot of protein in that meal, right? But when he got there, he says, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And here's what happens. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? So really, if you want to rephrase that, God's saying, hey, Elijah, why are you still in a rut? Like I've sent an angel to you twice to feed you supernaturally that's sustained you 40 days through the desert to this mountain. Why are you still in the rut? What are you doing here? Why are you still so down? You're still alive, right? If Jezebel wanted you dead, you would be dead by now. 
but he's still caught in this rut. And Elijah has his reasons. He pours his heart out to God and explains what he's thinking. We'll talk about that in just a second. And it's the same with us. We got, we, when we get caught in a rut, we have reasons. There, there's a reason that, or an excuse that we can have while we're in the rut, but the only way that we're going to get out is to have a plan. So you have reasons why you're in the rut. you got to have a plan to get out. So Elijah just says, oh, things are terrible, and it's just the worst, and God, I just don't want to anymore. And so God says, hey, I think we need to have a little talk. You need a little pep, pep talk, a little pick-me-up. And so he tells Elijah, go to the opening of the cave, and we're going to talk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show myself to you. So Elijah goes out to the entrance of, um, of the cave, and it says a huge windstorm came by the opening of the cave. But the writer says, the first king says that God was not in the wind. You would think he would be, right? He created the wind. It's very strong, very powerful, very loud. Surely God's getting his attention with the wind, but it says he wasn't in the wind. And then it says a great earthquake came onto the mountain that started like rocks started coming off the side of the mountain. But the writer of first king says that God was not in the earthquake. You would think he would be because, right, he shakes the foundations and he's in control of the universe. And so God could surely get his attention with an earthquake, but he wasn't in the earthquake. And then it says that a fire came by the opening of the cave and it was hot and it was, you know, it was loud and it was just the most amazing blaze you've ever seen. But it says God wasn't in the fire. Well, how, how does that make sense? Because like, you know, six weeks ago, God came down in fire, right? He showed himself through fire. So surely God's in that. But the writer of 1 Kings says that God wasn't in the fire either. So the earth, wind, and fire, and scholars tell us this happened the 21st night of September. <laughs> Got it. They don't really say that. I just made that up. As if you couldn't tell. So here's what happens. After these three huge, massive, amazing shows of force. God wasn't in them, but then what does it say? It says, all of a sudden, Elijah heard a still, small voice. He heard a whisper, and it was God speaking to him. In 1 Kings 19, verse 13, it says, here's what the voice said. The voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Notice God's already asked him that once. So what he's doing here is a couple of things. First, he's confirming it's still him by asking the same question. And secondly, he's showing, hey, you're still in the rut. Like nothing's shaken you, nothing's changed you, nothing's gotten you loose from this quicksand that's rising, rising, rising. What are you still doing here? And Elijah has the same response he had the first time. Here's what he says. Let's go through it. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. It's the same response that he had earlier, too. But he shows us one of the main dangers of being caught in a rut is that we focus on the problem. Again, you have reasons why you're there, but you got to have a plan to get out. He's showing no sign of a plan. He's just, and this is really not news. Like what he says here, rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. They've done that since the beginning. This is just the next cycle of that. This is not news. This is nothing that's just now happening. This is old news. And so um, he goes on to say this, I am the only one left. That's not true. Because what God tells him later, there's at least 7,000 who have been remained faithful. 
So he's like, you think you're the only one? There are thousands more who have not given in to worshiping Baal. They have not given in to the pressure of the queen to do this. They're still faithful. You're not alone. So he's, again, this, in this rut, he's thinking things that aren't true. He's believing lies. He's thinking things are a different way than they really are. It's another part of this, the trap that he's caught in. And then he says this, now they're trying to kill me too which is true, but again, it's not helpful. He's talking about, he's not talking about a plan. He's not talking about anything beyond this. He's like, I'm just going to die now because if I don't do it now, I'll do it later. They're going to come find me. They're trying to kill me. You know, the queen's got connections. She knows how to do it. She's got the muscle. She's going to find me and she's going to kill me. So it's not even worth trying anymore. So he's caught in this rut. He's not trying to do anything different. He's not trying to wiggle his way out. He's just going to lay there and die. He's not the quicksand, take him chest deep, and then he's just going to die in the middle of the desert. But here's what God says to him. I love this. 1 Kings 19, verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maloah, to succeed you as prophet. Lots of names there that get us distracted, but here's, here's what I love first of all about what God says. Notice God's response. He doesn't give in to Elijah's self-pity. He doesn't acknowledge what Elijah has just said at all. He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, bro. Man, that's really rotten. Man, bad luck. Or, man, I, I had no idea that was going on. I'm so shocked and surprised that you're struggling so bad. He doesn't respond. He doesn't give in. He doesn't play into this at all. Now, you would say, well, God doesn't really care about him. Well, sure he does. But what is giving in to Elijah's emotions, some of them false emotions, going to do? It's going to further get him in that rut. So does God care about what you're going through? Yes. Yes, he does. But he's not going to give in to self-pity with you. He's not going to jump in the quicksand with you because that's not going to help, right? He's not going to say, oh, man, that's just real. Now, he, again, I don't want to come off as God being cold, but he's not going to give in to that self-pity. He's going to speak truth instead. He's not going to give in to the darkness that's clouding your judgment and your thoughts and your emotions. He's going to reveal light to that. It's going to seem maybe harsh or cold, but he doesn't give in to his emotions at all. Instead, he just says, hey, you've got more work to do. Get up. We got a job to do. Let's go. Yeah, it stinks, and yeah, it's rotten. Didn't I, haven't I come through like every time? So I haven't changed. So go ahead. Let's do this thing. But here's the second thing. Look at this first part again. He says, go back the way you came. So here's a major problem with getting stuck in a rut. It's nothing but a time waster. The same old, same old, I'm stuck in the rut. It's like when, when it snows, which I don't want to have another, like last year, but if you get stuck in the snow or in mud and you just keep, keep pushing the accelerator, what happens? You get deeper in that. You get deep, and then you really can't get out. You have to reverse. You have to try something different. You have to have someone push from behind. you got to do something different besides just put on the gas because you're going to get stuck deeper and deeper and deeper in the rut. So it's a time waster because here's what happened. Elijah walked 40 days for nothing now because God says, go back the way you came and then do what you were supposed to do in the first place. He's wasted 80 days of just walking. 
The rut wasted time. It did no good. There was no positive effect from it. He didn't need the exercise. He didn't need the sun. It was, it was a waste, a total waste. Ruts are a time waster. Do not get stuck in a rut. And here's the... Uh, the third thing to men- I want to mention about this, this verse specifically is after he says go back, he gives him his mission. So again, consider, as we did last week, what if Elijah had just stayed in that rut? What if he had, here's, let's go back in the story again. What if this same old, same old trap, what if the rut for Elijah was, well, when God tried to speak to him and there was the, the wind and the earthquake and the fire, and after, you know, maybe he's like three strikes, God, and you're out. Like, I thought you were in this and you weren't. I thought you were in the earthquake and you weren't. I thought you were surely being the fire and you weren't. Man, I guess it's just a bad day. I'm not hearing from God anymore. What if Elijah had said, well, if God, if you're in those big showy things like you always are, like you always have been, well, then I guess I just missed you today and I'll come back another time. If he'd been stuck in the same old, same old trap in this rut of expecting God in the same way, at the same time, every time, all the time, it's possible he would have missed what God wanted him to do. And what we see here in this verse, the danger of that is not just that I get stuck and I have nowhere to go and nothing improves, nothing changes, I miss what God wants from me, but for Elijah and for all of us in the room, when we get stuck in our spiritual rut, it affects others around us as well. Because Elijah's mission involved three other people. Anoint this guy, this guy, and this guy, the third of which was his successor as prophet. So imagine how he would have kicked everything out of sync with what God had prepared for his life and the nation if he had said, well, God wasn't in that and I thought he was, and God wasn't in that and I thought he was, and God's not going to whisper. I must be hearing things. Like maybe it's just my thoughts just going crazy. I can't be God. If he had reacted that way, what could have been thrown off course? What would Elijah have missed himself if he had gotten caught in this rut and stayed there? But Elijah, after kind of a little bit of a kick in the pants from God, said, okay, I'm going to stop feeling sorry for myself. I'm going to stop whining and complaining. And despite the odds that are against me, I'm going to continue forward in the mission God has for me. And he goes and anoints these men and then trains Elisha to take over to be the next prophet. So he didn't, he refused to get caught in this rut. So the question is, how do we do that? Is that possible for us? And it is, but it requires this one thought I want to share this morning. The key to escaping this trap and this rut is this. If you want to see what you've never seen, you'll have to do what you've never done. If you want to see what you've never seen before, you'll have to do what you've never done before. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, So Apple is a computer company, right? All they do is make computer parts. That's all they do, right? They do nothing else besides that. That's not true at all. So now 35 years ago, yes, they made computers, you know, whatever there was at the time for you to kind of make it yourself at home. If you knew what you were doing, we'll make the stuff. We'll give you the hardware. You put it together. You make it work. And that's what they did. Now, if they still tried that 35 years later, they're going to be out of business. So if they, they're, or they're going to find themselves stuck in this one little sliver of the marketplace. What they decided to do, though, over the course of their history is rethink. 
to expand what was possible for them. They decided early on, we're not just going to be a computer company. We're going to be in the designing company. And we're, they got into music streaming years ago. Ever heard of iTunes? Boom, right? And then they thought, well, we have this cool idea. Why don't we make a different product that holds the music in it? So they did that. They, they create their own new parts of the marketplace because they refuse to get stuck in a rut. We're not going to be known for being a computer company. Now they sell more cell phones than anybody else of their own brand at the highest price, which is bizarre, but it's true. And they sell more iPads than anybody sells laptops, in the marketplace at the highest price. It's insane. But they decided we're going to think outside the box. Even early on, their slogan was, think different. From the beginning, they knew if we stay in this one little sliver, we're never going to make it where we want to be in 35 years. But they did it because they decided to think different. They decided to rethink things. They decided to, to, you know, nobody else was doing the things they were doing at the time, but they did it, and it paid huge dividends to this day. It's the same with a company like Amazon. Amazon, it, what are they? They're just an online bookstore, right? That's all they are. Ha! That's the biggest joke ever right there. They're not just an online bookstore anymore. They own they own the world, basically, don't they? I mean, seriously, Amazon owns the world. We're worried about the Antichrist. I think Amazon might be the Antichrist, okay? I mean, it's like world domination is, is their game. But how do they go from a small, fledgling online bookstore to now the biggest mega company in the world, swallowing Walmart, swallowing Target? They have changed the way we purchase things. How'd they do that? Well, because they decided we don't just want to sell books. So, you know, early, early, early on, when no one even knew who they were, they were purchasing um, ideas in the tech world because they had bigger ideas than just this one little sliver of a sliver on the Internet. So early on, when they're not making any money, they're actually losing money for a long time. What they're doing is they're investing in technology and they're buying warehouses, and it looks foolish. Like, I, can't, I can't imagine when Jeff Bezos goes to his board meetings early on. He's like, hey, just bought three more warehouses this quarter. How? We can't afford that. You're going to put us under. Yeah, I also invested like $2 billion in tech. What are you doing? We're an online bookstore. This is not what we do. This is not who we are. And he's like, oh, no, no. We're going to be much bigger than where we are right now. But we have to think differently or we're going to get stuck in a rut. So they've also gotten into the streaming you know, business, video streaming, movies, all that sort of thing. They also did a crazy thing. Hey, you pay us 50 bucks a year, you get this free streaming service and free shipping in two days. That's crazy, right? How are you? You're going to lose so much money by doing those things, and yet they're pretty successful, I would say. They're doing okay for themselves. They, again, literally own the world, okay? So they did things that didn't make sense, but it kept them from getting stuck in a rut, Here's an encouraging thing, too. They've also done a couple of things, Amazon has, that flopped. So when you try to get out of the rut, you may slide further one direction in the snow. I've done it many times, okay? You think you're getting out. Well, I don't want to go that way. It's into the fence and down the hill to my demise. So Amazon, a few years ago, they tried to launch, did you know they tried to launch a cell phone? One of the biggest, you probably never heard of it because it's one of the biggest flops of the last decade. It did not work at all. It was an instant crash and burn. But they tried something different to not get stuck in a rut. Early on, one of the first things they tried to sell besides books was food. 
which at the time was like a, did not work at all. So they, but he, again, they had this idea, we're not going to get stuck in this rut, this little bitty sliver of the marketplace. We're going to think differently. We're going to take some risk, and it may not work, but we're going to try it anyway. So they tried this food thing, never worked, and guess what? A few years ago, they bought out Whole Foods. So now they can get food to you on your doorstep in two days with Whole Foods. And they, so they, they had this idea that bombed, and they just said, it's okay, we're fine, the, the cell phone. They had an idea that bombed in, initially, but then later on, years later, when they rethought it again and again, they said, hey, let's do go, go about it this way, and it's working. So some things, sometimes when you try to get out of rut, we'll talk about it in just a minute, it may be like tough sledding for a while. It may feel really, you may not feel like you're making any progress, but you're trying something different, and that's something you're at least trying. Like Elijah, when he's laying down under the tree ready to die, he's not trying anymore. He's totally done. He's fried. He is, it's, it's over for him. But when he actually gets up and walks, he's at least doing something. He went in the wrong direction for a while, but he, he got back when God, again, kind of said, hey, let's go this way and do this thing, and I'll tell you what to do and where to go from now on. So, again, if we refuse to get stuck in the rut, it'll be okay. If we want to see what we've never seen, we have to do what we've never done. Has your rhythm become a rut? You have to do what you've never done. Has what used to be easy is more difficult now? Maybe you have to do what you've never done to see results that you want to see. So how do we escape this? Let me go through some key areas in our lives for just a couple of minutes here as we wrap it up today. So again, maybe your marriage has been in a rut for a while. Maybe, it's, maybe you were in a rhythm, things were great, it was new, it was different, it was easy, it was awesome, and now it's just like a grind. So maybe you have to try new things. Maybe it's a date night. Maybe even that has become a rut. Like two years ago, day night was a cool, fresh idea, and this was so neat, and now we just do it every Friday, and it's the same. And even that cool thing is now a rut. Maybe you switch it to a different night of the week. Maybe be open to different places or things or activities. Maybe spontaneity is something that can be helpful. I don't want to get stuck in, oh, we have the same schedule all the time, do the same stuff all the time. Let's do something just crazy once in a while. Be open to things like that to help that work in your marriage. Another key thing in marriage is communication. So, like, if you're not talking, hmm, that's probably not going to work for very long. Maybe you should try that, open communication lines. Or maybe, you know, when we had to do this before at certain times, you maybe have to schedule a time in the week. We're going to carve out this time and just talk about what's going on, what's coming up, what things am I worried about, what things am I, or am I dreading, and then we just work together. If you have to do that, that's okay. Again, you're trying something to get a result you haven't had at least for a while, if not forever. Again, parenting, you have to change styles as your kids get older. I have an 8-year-old and 11-year-old. Timeout's not going to work anymore. They would love for me to have them go to timeout, you know? I could sit in the corner and just do nothing. This is great. So if I tried that, it's not going to work. You have to adjust. Even communication with kids has to change as they get older. Um, and so, though, again, to, to see things you've never seen, you have to do things you've never done. Maybe it's a financial need in your life. You need a miracle, okay? Praying is good. But just praying for a check in the mail all the time, again, don't be like, don't be like Elijah, right? This has got to be God. It's not. It's got to be God. It's not. Well, then I'm, I guess I'm done. He hasn't answered with this miracle yet. Maybe God's going to position you for a, a part-time job temporarily to help with your income need. It doesn't mean it's not God because you have to work more. It just means maybe God's providing that opportunity for you in your life. He's going to meet that need in that way. He's going to use you to provide your own miracle for yourself. Maybe sometimes he's going to position you with a relationship where they take an interest in your hobby and it becomes a side hustle. 
a way to earn extra income. You mean this little craft thing that I do can really help make income? Maybe God's going to bring that person into your life to make that a reality for you. He's not just going to save you with an, a bonus at work or a check in the mail or a raise at your job or a new job that pays more. It might come through different avenues. But again, if we're looking for God to do the same things in the same way every time, all the time, more often than not, we're going to miss what he's really trying to do. And so one example of this, uh, Kim and I, so we had several years ago, yeah, she's loving that because I have fever massage now, and I've said your name a couple times, but it's just one for the whole day, right? Okay, good. So we had lots of student loan debt. We still had been paying off for like 10 years, and, you know, it's, you make a little dent in it, but it's just very depressing when you still see, wow, we still owe how much? Like tens of thousands of dollars we still owe after 10 years of paying these things off. So we decided about four years ago or so, hey, how about we just stop trying to chip away at it, and how about we just stop waiting for, you know, the government to say, hey, we'll pay this off for you or, you know, I, whatever. And what if, what, if we, what if God's telling us we want to do something different for ourselves? So when we were looking to move to a, a new house about four years ago or so, something like that, um, we intentionally looked for really small, cheap housing. Why? Because if I can cut my mortgage payment by like 70%, guess what? Boom, there you go. You can pay off that loan. And that's what we did. So we didn't just sit around and say, okay, God, help us, you know, help us pay this off, help us do this, provide a miracle. We did that. But then when we sensed God doing something, and it's Kim because she's our real estate agent for our family, right? Um, she's like, okay, maybe this is what God's wanting to do. And that's what he did. So in three years, we paid off, I don't know, 50-something thousand dollars in student loans just because we downsized. That's all we did. We just downsized our home, and we were very aggressive and intentional about it. But God used that to make that happen. And so now we have, you know, more financial freedom than we did before because we don't have this huge thing around our neck all the time. And so, again, it wasn't just that God came through with this bonus check or this, you know, mega thing that happened. It was he used us to think differently, to do what other people in their late 20s probably are not going to do to get results that we want to see. To get what we wanted, we had to do what we'd never done. So that, that's maybe encouraging for your life as well. Let's finish with this idea of spiritually. Maybe you're caught in a rut spiritually and you feel like God hasn't talked to you for a while, and you feel distant from him, is it because you've made these really deep four-foot tracks in your life spiritually? You haven't moved or tried anything different or looked for God in different ways, and you're like, okay, God, maybe you've forgotten about me or you're angry with me, and God's like, no, I'm just over here, and you're just stuck. So what do we do about that? Here's what I, I would encourage us. First of all, stop thinking that God only works the same way every time. He's not a one-trick pony. He has variety. He wants to surprise you once in a while. He wants to try something different once in a while. He wants to speak to you differently. So are you willing for God to do something new in your life? It might be scary. It might be uncomfortable, but it's going to be worth it. Are you open to God speaking to you in new ways? Maybe your devotional life, again, has just become a routine. I don't really feel anything from it. I don't get anything from it. You know, I just, you know, check the thing off the box of my to-do list as a Christian, and that's it. There's more to a devotional life than that, much more. So here's what I would say. Maybe you feel like your, your personal life, your study life, your prayer life is just kind of stuck. What if, crazy idea, are you ready for it? What if you switch the time that you did that? Maybe you've always done it in the morning because I want to start my day that way, but it doesn't really help bring any value. Why not do it at the end of the day? Or just try it. What's it going to hurt? It's not going to hurt anything. Just, just try. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds ludicrous. Just try it. Maybe you switch where you do a daily devotion. 
Well, I do it in my bedroom where there's all these distractions and I got things and I'm trying to get ready for work while I'm doing it. And I just don't get anything out of it. Well, what if maybe you tried to do it like on the back deck or you tried to do it in a different room in the house? And even with me, with studying, I, I, I read an article a couple years ago about creativity and it says changing the environment helps to keep you creative. Uh, and get, keep, keeps you from getting stuck in that rut. And so I'll be here a couple days a week, and maybe once a week I'll study at home. Maybe once, one, one time, one week I'll study at you know, Panera or Starbucks. It's the location changing keeps you kind of fresh. It doesn't get you stuck sort of in that rut. It can be the same way with your devotional life. If you do it in the same, same place at the same time every day, if you're getting something out of it, great. If it's not broken, don't fix it. But if you're like, I'm just not sensing kind of the oomph I used to, Change something. Do something for God to speak to you in a different way. Maybe God wants to speak to you through an unlikely source. Like, I don't know, like a family member. You would never think, well, God's not going to speak through them. He's spoken through a donkey before, you know. I mean, he can do some weird stuff. So, yeah, he can speak through your aunt. You know, he can speak through your grandkids. He can do that. So be open to maybe God's trying to get your attention in other ways that you maybe wouldn't see coming in your rut. And then here's a big one. Are you open to God using you in new ways? Which, again, can be very scary. You mean God want my, might want me to, like, actually talk to somebody? Yeah, maybe. You mean he actually might want me to pray for somebody right then when they're talking to me about their issue? Yeah, maybe. Maybe he will. But if we're not open to him doing that, he's not going I mean, to force us. He's not going to mind control, take us over, and have us do that. It's up to us to be receptive to what he's trying to do that may be different. Maybe new, maybe kind of scary, but if God's doing it, it will be worth it. So this trap is all about limiting God, okay? The same old, same old trap, this rut limits God. So don't limit God by getting stuck in a rut. Don't miss what God may want to do in you and through you by getting stuck in this rut. Don't stay in the rut. Don't fall in this trap, but say, okay, God, like, where am I at? What am I doing? And what are you trying to do? And how can we get back in alignment? If you want to see what you've never seen, you'll have to do what you've never done. And it will be worth it every time. Be ready for God to do something awesome, something different, and something new in your life and through your life.